Welcome to Almost Famous Minute, where we're discussing the 2000 Cameron Crowe film, Almost Famous, one minute at a time. I'm Eric Nash from Watchmen Minute. I'm Condra Boudreaux from Fantastic Mr. Fox Minute. I'm Paul Sayeski from None of Those Minutes. <laughs> hey, welcome, Paul. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks yeah. for having me, Eric. And Paul's our guest, and Condra, welcome. You're our co-host. Thank you for having me as yeah. your surprise co-host. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a grand surprise. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so this is uh, Friday, minute 15, and it starts with Lester talking and ends with Lester talking. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Just a bunch of talking. It's so funny. Yeah. It's so funny that... Um... Philip Seymour Hoffman isn't in this movie very much, but his scenes, I think maybe it's eight or nine minutes that he's in it total. Mm -hmm. It leaves such a lasting impact. Yeah. He, he really brought his, a, a pretty good a game here, you know, to, to play this um, great character, Lester bangs, you know, a, a, a real rock critic of the time. Um, right. They, they had the, they create the fictional, or fictional characters of William, which is supposed to be Cameron, of course, but um, and his family and and the fictional Stillwater band, but uh, they leave in. They have other bands that are certainly heard heard plenty throughout, but um, and and seen some a little bit, some bands and musicians, what have you. But uh, this is this is definitely the biggest uh, biggest real person I think that talks the most throughout. I wonder how much of that sentiment, because I definitely agree that Philip Seymour Hoffman like really captured my mind in this uh, minute, but I wonder how much of that is us looking back on it and realizing that he's not here anymore and how much that kind of hindsight regret is experienced in watching him perform in this minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's... it's... And this this is probably the movie I definitely over the past roughly half a year or so I've 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 seen him in the most. <laughs> I haven't I haven't really uh I don't think I really I can't really think of any movies I've really watched with him in it uh too recently. Oh man, he's uh, honestly I there's so I, many good ones, yeah. Yeah, there's so many good ones honestly. I well, I have a shirt with all kind of, all of his different characters on it kind of all arguing with each other. Um for me, it's like I, I, I've seen this movie so many times prior to his death um, it, it, that his character in this is almost its own entity. I don't even think of him as being dead, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he really just, yeah, it sticks out so much. And it's, and it's such a funny contrast, his acting going from the, you know, the previous scene, the previous minute where he's just so in your face and loud and he's such a character mm -hmm. to him. Walking up the sidewalk with this just um, bright-eyed, earnest, quiet, polite William Miller. Yeah, and actually, uh, so speaking of William, actually, there is the very end of a line that uh, William is saying right when we get into this minute, which is "They hate me," and that previous, previous, uh, you know, uh, question from Lester that's that's that. Uh, spurned William's response of they hate me, which is what are you the star of your school? <laughs> yeah. The, the, when he says they hate me, I love how Lester just pretty much immediately relates. He's like, nah, don't worry about a kid. Like you'll meet them all again on the long road to the middle. <laughs> which, which I found to be, you know, it's a play on the, you know, 
people talking about interacting, seeing people on the way up the ladder, the corporate ladder or whatever kind of ladder, and and then also on the way down or what have you. And, and he, he asks his play on it of just the, this journey to the middle is, is pretty uh, awesome. Yeah. Now, I live in San Diego, oh. and I've actually I, – I don't know where they filmed this particular scene. <laughs> I have an idea of where it is, but mm-hmm. – um, and I've certainly seen parts of it, like in the beginning, you know, the, the montage they show Balboa Park and Ocean Beach. But I don't, I don't know exactly where the scene was filmed. Something that I got out of this minute, and I don't know if it's just because I just had my graduation last weekend, but I've really related to the concept of late night writing and doing anything physically possible to get through it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, he does mention the... Uh... You know, speed and sometimes a little cough syrup uh, tip. In, in my dive into Lester Bangs a little bit too and finding out the real person, he actually, part of the overdose he experienced that caused his death was from NyQuil. So I was like mm-hmm. thinking about, yeah. is that yeah. a tip of the hat to how he would mm-hmm. later die? Wow, I did not know that. I, I feel like I, I've looked up here. stuff. Yeah, I've looked up stuff about Lester Bangs. I did not know that. I already didn't make that connection. And, and since we're talking about that 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 line, it's then followed by either, and I, I get I pass along a script to both of you, but I forget what it's what I what I gave you, but <laughs> it's I think it's, it's it seems like it's a fairly big bone of contention. I would say online is it faces of Coltrane or the faces, as in the band or Coltrane. <laughs> do, you, do you have a well, take on wh- which which way that line is is really supposed to be oh geez i feel like i need to turn up the volume here and listen to it again i've never given right. it a thought because because i google i google faces of coltrane and i get some hits hmm. <laughs> i mean there's there's people that talk about faces of coltrane now maybe they got it you know it's it's a, it's all post 2000 <laughs> it's possible <laughs> but um i mean as someone yeah. who's just trying to kind of trying to practice writing and just like putting their head in it, it would make sense for them to give options of different bands that they're just attempting yeah. to write about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get, get a couple, you know, get a, get a band and a, uh, uh, uh Coltrane, a, a, uh, a, a, a jazz person. I'm pretty sure. Is that right? John Coltrane. That sounds right. Um, yeah. Jazz saxophonist and composer. Um, but you know that would make sense for someone of Lester Bangs's age compared to Williams, especially. You know that that would would certainly be would would have been, especially in, more in his youth, probably into uh, some jazz and willing to explore that. Uh, versus William, I'm not saying William uh, or Cameron Crowe himself, either one would would never have explored that. But it's just going to be less likely, I think. But you got William and his mother. And, and her influences on him, so yeah. she she could have had him listening to someone like Coltrane or other other jazz people like Miles Davis maybe. But there is the drug issues there, so <laughs> yeah, certainly. I like hearing um, Lester Bang's take on it. It kind of reveals the generational bias to you know like the music you grew up with versus the current music that's popular, yeah. and how he says. How he says, uh, you know, it's the it's the death rattle. Shame you missed out on rock and roll. 
but it's so funny. You know, I, I grew up in the eighties, nineties, two thousands. And I think back of like the seventies is just like the pinnacle, a peak of rock and roll. And right. he's, here he is living it. And he's just so cynical about it. And, mm-hmm. and the the music from his childhood is, is far better. I mean, I think he extends that kind of gatekeeping mentality when he asks him about Lou Reed, too. So there's just this perpetuation of my what my perception of the greats of rock and roll is always going to be different than yours. Right. Yeah, I mean, despite him being a a rock critic, mainly, essentially, um, Mm -hmm. his his age group, say, at this time in in the early 70s. someone for for someone that is supposed to be in his i'm guessing 30s i should probably look it up a little more closely but um (laughs) that you know yeah he would he would be he's just of that mentality or 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 he's he's a more pessimist versus an optimist he's a you know glass half empty versus glass half full kind of guy it seems like to me but but um you know yeah he's gonna have that take on the, the the state of the you know music business or industry or just uh uh as an art form you know that that it's uh it's pretty much dying guitar music is on its way out what have you totally yeah um lee uh lester bangs would have been in his early 30s if we're going yeah. off of his birth his actual birth date um, for it um cool. yeah i I have his Wikipedia page up and I keep looking at it. (laughs) But I think Crow in his real life really did struggle with that um, gatekeeping and like trying to fight for what he thought was good rock and roll because they would just assign him the worst or what Rolling Stones perceived as the worst bands. Mm -hmm. When in reality, we do look at them now and there are tribute bands for all the bands that Stillwater's based off of and they're good it's a good time yeah and and you can just tell such a, him spending so much of his formative formative years or at least a the small chunk that he did spend with them they've made such an indelible impression on him um i mean i've seen all of Cameron Crowe's movies and i'm kind of of the opinion that they've gotten worse and worse or a little less guided but I just – this is so strongly – you can just tell that he, he's got his heart on his sleeve with this. He's so invested in making sure that he's gotten these characters right and he's representing this journey and these bands right. Mm-hmm. It's such a labor of love. And that's why uh, – I mean this movie, you know, we're sitting here talking it, talking about it minute by minute. Um, and, and it's – you know, I want to talk about the whole movie, but it's so funny that – you, this is a movie you can actually talk about it minute by minute. There's not a wasted – I don't think there's a wasted frame, conversation, song uh, choice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so every – there's no wasted space. Even in the even in the, the uh, untitled, I think, you know, despite it being a little long, it's uh, – every, every little piece of this movie works for me. Mm-hmm. Well, spe- speaking of untitled, like we can go ahead and uh... – there, there's some differences here in this minute and even the next minute with both of you guys on. Um, and this minute, uh, they're here. There's, it's when they're stand when they've come to a standstill, and it's, uh, well, it's essentially right after the Lou Reed. There's this little bit that was cut out. It's, it's Lester Bang saying, "But, but if Bowie's doing Lou 
and Lou is still doing Bowie, Lou is still doing Lou. And William, <laughs> William just responds, if you like Lou. <laughs> Savage. Yeah. And you can tell that's an insight written by somebody who loves this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it feels so well-informed. This isn't a, a, a slap shod script just like punched up by a bunch of Hollywood guys like this was written by somebody who loves all of it. I love lines like that. Well, and, and just to go ahead and say it too, um, because I do have a point actually is that uh, William's previous comment, well, Lester's previous question, and you like Lou Reed, William says the early stuff and his new stuff, he's trying to be Bowie. He should just be himself. And this, to me, this is, you know, this is just getting that critic, critic E talk, you know, the, the way, the way it would be written, maybe, you know, that, 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 that a critic would write, you know, would, would say, would write this kind of thing, um, that he should just be himself. Um, right. And, and I, I think, I think that's, that's probably one of the better cuts. You know, I, 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 I do like the untitled pretty well. Um, but as well, but, um, that that's probably one of the better cuts to just minimize that that uh lingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't need to be hit over the head with it uh with all that extra even though it is kind of funny and so forth. It's it's, it's good for a laugh but <laughs> Um, and then even before that, uh, you know, there's this insider, other insidery talk, which isn't, you know, isn't heard outside, you know, of, uh, I mean, what it is, it is insidery versus what's printed on the page for a critic, uh, which is, you know, uh, Lester asking what he, what William types on. And so here's another little bone of contention, and maybe we can get some listener feedback on these types of things with the uh, Faces of Coltrane thing. Um, but but uh, William's response is Smith, Corona. It sounds to me like Galaxus Deluxe. That's what I hear. That that's what I looked up. Or it could be Galaxies, but it really should be Galaxy, by what I found. Huh. Smith Corona Galaxy wow. with an IE at the end, Deluxe. That's what I had autocorrected, yeah. and it yeah, was really right. frustrating when I was trying yeah. to research this typewriter. I was like, what is this? Yeah, why is it so spit? Because William why does- definitely has an S there at the end of that word. Yes. But- yeah either of those other things it could be really aren't right i like how lester kind of perks up and they're kind of mid-stride and he says well what do you type on and he tells him that and then that's kind of when he turns and talks to him because he can tell he's he's serious yeah or as serious as a high school kid can be yeah cause, i mean i'd imagine you know someone similar to william you know might not even really be typing <laughs> <laughs> that you know could have been handwritten stuff that he turns in or something, which probably would be considered not professional, right? To do so. So in general, I have this take on essentially, mo- essentially most of this minute, a little bit into the next minute, versus and we will like we can we will go into it then. Um, but this minute is kind of just like this scoping out, but also sco- you know Lester scoping William out. But then also throwing here and there, throwing these couple little uh, tips and tricks kind of things. The speed thing, especially. <laughs> <laughs> A little closer. There have been studies released saying that, you know, creatives do kind of their 
best work at night. Um, they're more night owls versus um, n- normal people or non-creatives or more day people. Um, it's just kind of a, I like that observation or I like that, com- that comment on it. I definitely am that way. Um, okay. Just, just like as an individual, I find I get my like most inspiring thoughts the later it gets, hmm. which can be both concerning and productive at the same time. Um, but usually it's it's not as creative as I'd like it to be sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if there's something to do with um, the fact that the rest of the world around you is asleep and like that's why mm. I've found my most like I find I'm most productive at night because there are no other distractions and I can really like go like go nuts with whatever concept I'm running with and it can turn into something really out of hand because there's no one stopping me yeah it's it's, you kind of have this freedom and maybe that's even a function of like your subconscious brain just saying, knowing that everyone else is asleep and the um, the possibility of distraction is lower. And it's just it just says like, we can do our best work now. But for him, I also how, how much of it is the drugs, too. So, <laughs> yeah, that. well, it's it, I mean, they kind of show his his methodology late is that okay if we if i talk a little bit about something later in the movie eric um you know when when, uh william's on the road and he calls lester just kind of distraught he says i can't quite get this story but you see lester doing exactly kind of what he's describing just kind of wandering around his house at night he's got random records on he's he's a little messy and he's got stuff kind of thrown everywhere but you can just tell that that's his creative space Well, is there anything else for this minute? Or say for you, Condra? Um, I don't know what it is about William in these like in these two minutes and then just in the beginning of the movie in general. I just he's just like a precious small baby. <laughs> and it just it hurts me sometimes to be like, Wow, it is this actor's first role in a yeah. movie and he just he makes me feel so sorry for him and I just want the best for him at all times. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I was just experiencing a lot of like pearl clutching kind of moments when I was rewatching <laughs> it over and over again. I was just like, he does not do drugs and he's so precious and pure. The world does not deserve him. So he is. It's a, that's the perfect description. He's such a little bright eyed, beautiful little baby. <laughs> and he just, I feel like, I feel like Lester Bangs is the first guy that he meets. And it's this minute is so, it's, this is the first guy that he meets. It's part of this real world. That's going to, you know, it chews up and spits out so many people. And this is his introduction to it. This conversation right here. Uh, yeah. And, and then just seeing how young Patrick Fugit is here and knowing all the other stuff that he's gone on to do. I mean, he just directed a uh, game night last year, which my uh, friend of mine wrote. And, and now he, you know, that was, a, that was a highly um, regarded comedy. And here, here we are watching him as our beautiful little baby boy growing up. And he went on to do, so he's gone on to do quite a bit. Very cool. I didn't, I didn't know, know that about you yet there, Paul. 
<laughs> you had a friend in the business. Yeah, there's a. I got a couple scattered yeah. here and there. I grew up in L.A. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Being a movie geek there is pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a quote for the the last uh, two couple sentences here from this minute. All right, it's been nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, but really, uh, for for uh, uh, let's have uh, Paul go first here. Um, the ranking of the four bands that make up Stillwater, um, Almond Brothers, Eagles, Led Zeppelin, and Leonard Skinner. Uh, are you, are you prepared to give us your, um, from, from least, least, least favorite or from favorite to least favorite, which way you're going to go? First I, off? I am prepared. So, uh, yeah. uh, actually I'll go, I'll go, um, ascending order. Um, so I'd say my, my fourth, my least favorite is the Eagles. Not because I think they're a bad band. I'll despite, um, <laughs> the dude thinking they are yeah, uh, from the big Lebowski. Um, I just, it's kind of one of those bands. I know their hits more than I know their, their mm-hmm. entire catalog. Um, Almond brothers band and Leonard Skinner are kind of a tie for me. I just love, I love those bands, but they, they fit into that same genre and I, yeah. I like them equally. And then Led Zeppelin is just, that was, that was my band in high school. I, I, you were talking earlier about how many cut co- there's so many cover bands and uh, of all these, these guys. And I have seen way too many Led Zeppelin cover bands. Oh. <laughs> so that I would definitely rank them number one. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Condra, what, what are you going to do? I'm not too dissimilar. Um, Led Zeppelin's my number one. Um, I don't have as, I think that band is the one I have the most familiarity with. I work at a concert venue and that is my favorite tribute band to work. Um, they're super fun. And I just, I, I connect with their music. Interestingly enough, I think the Eagles would probably be my number two. Um, mostly because of a specific song that's used in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh. I just, I love it. It's an in instrument. In call. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, um, I haven't seen that for a while. What? Um. Oh gosh, I'm oh. going to try and remember this. Yeah. Um. Then my number th- three would be Almond Brothers Band, and Leonard Skinner would be four. I think I'm a little less familiar with those two. I probably I, I know I know their hits, and I know they're like bands that I should know better, but I don't. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah. <laughs> but I think. Was, that oh so like it, they're, they're, it looks like it's journey of the sorcerer yeah journey of the sorcerer yeah. sorry okay. yeah i was just, wow. just trying to look it up too um yeah it just it's used throughout hitchhikers as kind of instrumental score in the background and it just oh. is it's stuck with me hitchhikers is one of my favorite books <laughs> i think the movie is better <laughs> than i give it, it's not as good as i give it credit okay, for being yeah. <laughs> But I love it still. I think Martin Freeman. We all have those. Yeah. Um, Martin Freeman just looks so interesting in that, especially seeing him now in like a post-Sherlock world, um, post-Bilbo Baggins world. But uh, yeah, Hitchhikers hold a special place in my heart. So, But Led Zeppelin being my number one, um, I think their cultural impact in itself is something I can't overstate. And I guess I might as well bring it up since we're talking about these bands, just real quick. Led Zeppelin, the the use of Led Zeppelin in this movie is yeah. just perfect. Every 
every, I mean, every song that he picked for the scene that he picked to put it over was so good. And I, I grew up in the time when like Led Zeppelin, it was always kind of like, oh yeah, Led Zeppelin doesn't use, let anybody use their music and you never heard it anything. And then all of a sudden this movie came out and there was, you know, four or five Zeppelin songs in it. And then, you know, of course later Cadillac got rights and all that stuff. So that was, Mm. it wasn't true anymore, but this was my first time seeing Led Zeppelin used in this way. And it was just, it, it cemented them as one of my favorite bands that defined my, my teenage years. So yeah, my number one. I did a little bit of research into the Led Zeppelin bit too. Um, so he did a pre-screening for um, right. Led Zeppelin to kind of convince them to let him use, uh, Crow uh, convinced them to let him use some of their songs. So, because the last movie before that had been Say Anything that had used one. So right. he, he just had a relationship. There's a deleted scene that is on, I don't know if it's on the original DVD or Blu-ray, but on the untitled they have, and it's, it basically, they couldn't use the music in the deleted scene, but it says basically sync up stairway to heaven with this scene. And it's, it's William Miller trying to convince his mom to let him go. And as they're listening to stairway to heaven, and I just, I love that so much. Similar to what, what Anita does with um, America, Simon Garfunkel's. America. absolutely Set yeah two of them down yeah and uh you know and, and apparently if the, the the only reason that scene i mean that's he, he didn't you know he, he he wouldn't put another song in that scene otherwise that scene would have been in the movie if they had just agreed to it but they were they were pretty precious with that one right but, yeah. uh, very cool yeah and um so today's friday and you guys are gonna stay over the whole weekend here and come back on monday is that right? That's right. You'll let me. Yes. Oh well, let you. Yeah. <laughs> oh great. Glad to have you. Come on. Yay. Um. So that will be we'll a speed- minute we'll- sixteen. Whoop. What's that? I was gonna say we'll have a, a speed and cough syrup party this weekend. Right. We'll, we'll make it through to Monday. Yeah. You know, I might pass on that, and I'll just sleep. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be dragging. Yeah. On Monday's episode. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so that's going to be minute 16 on Monday. This was 15 here on Friday with uh, Kondra and Paul. If, if you guys uh, each want to, uh, can, can uh, you just quickly let uh, some people know where uh, know where you're at? Uh, any little plugs or a little social media? Uh, sure. Uh, I, honestly, I don't have much of a social media presence. <laughs> uh, I'm just some guy who really likes movies, and hopefully I did good enough where I'll be invited back to talk more about one of my favorite movies. Cool. And Kondra? Um, I co-host another Movies by Minute podcast with my brother. Um, We break down 2009 Fantastic Mr. Fox one minute at a time. We can be found on all podcatchers and Twitter. We're at Amateur Nerds. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so uh, Minute 16 uh, on on Monday. We'll see ya. And until then, it's all happening. It's all happening. It's all happening. (laughs) Yay. I am a golden god!
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.